Hello friends, this is the Daily Edify with Jeff Lane, a place to get spiritually grounded and into alignment with the flow of love each weekday morning. In each episode, we'll focus on a spiritual practice, a poem, a book, a sacred text, something that can empower us to be more fully alive to the gift that is the day before us. Thank you for listening. Today's episode focuses on the Song of Songs, a little book in the Bible that's part of the Hebrew Bible for our Jewish friends, the Old Testament for we Christians. It's the first of five episodes we're going to do, one per week over the next five weeks, in which we'll talk about uh, five so-called forgotten books of the Bible, using as our guide uh, the book by the same name by Robert Williamson, Jr., I'm actually teaching a class on his book right now on Sunday mornings before our worship services at the church I serve here at First Pres Wilmette. And it's been invigorating and, and fun and, and well-received. So about 15 of us gather, most in person, a few over Zoom, uh, to discuss each of these five books. And I want to share some of what we're learning together. So today we're going to look, just for a few minutes, at the Song of Songs. Next week we'll look at Ruth, then Lamentations, then Ecclesiastes, and finally the book of Esther. Let me read a few verses from the beginning of the song. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant, your name is perfume poured out. Therefore, the maidens love you. And the song goes on and on for eight chapters like this very poetic, very sensual, um, gorgeous imagery going back and forth between these two young lovers. The title, Song of Songs, is meant as a superlative, meaning the best song. Like when we're saying King of Kings, we mean sort of the, the, the best king. And then it adds, which is Solomon's, which means either it's about Solomon or more likely by Solomon. It was common in antiquity to attribute authorship to a well-known historical figure. So the Song of Songs is almost certainly written in the spirit of Solomon rather than by the king himself. Again, it's only eight chapters in length, takes about 20 minutes to read in in a sitting or if you listen to it aloud on on a Bible app. The poem features the the voice of two lovers, one male, one female, and their professions of love for one another. At times, the two are in dialogue, but at other times, they speak separately. It's part of an ancient tradition of Near Eastern love poetry. The Song of Songs does not exist in a vacuum. In fact, Song of Songs is very similar to Egyptian love poetry, Biblical scholars have showed us, in particular, poetry that was sung at at banquets as entertainment. I think it goes without saying that we in the church have not done a good job of promoting sex and sexuality as as a mutual, pleasurable, shame-free expression of the joy of being human, a, a gift of God, in fact. Yet the Song of Songs, I think, gives us a picture of that. The early church father Origen of Alexander said that all but the most spiritually mature should avoid the Song of Songs because so powerful was its its sexual allure. He wrote this in his commentary on the Song of Songs. Or the great Jewish rabbi Akiba said, all the Jewish writings are holy, but the Song of Songs is the holiest 
of the holy. And in a moment we'll get at get at why that might be the case. In the Song of Songs, God is not actually mentioned anywhere directly. This is the same case in the book of Esther. And our Jewish friends read the Song of Songs every year at Passover celebrations when they're remembering the story of the Exodus. And we'll say a word about why that is at the end, too. The song, though, is is a series of lyric poems celebrating human love. The the poetry is, is graceful, sensuous, full of erotic imagery and illusions, and it celebrates the passion of these two young lovers as as they seduce each other and enjoy exploring one another's bodies. It's about the the giddiness of young lovemaking. The female is dark-skinned, beautiful, often referred to as the Shulamite. The two are, are nature enthusiasts, often making love outdoors, exploring God's creation just as they explore one another's bodies. Four quick things to say about the Song of Songs. The first, the song maintains a remarkably healthy view of consent and mutuality, particularly for such an ancient text. Their lovemaking, these two partners, their lovemaking is both consensual and reciprocal. A second important aspect of the song is that it appreciates the human body, both male and female, in all the diversity of its forms. In contrast to the Christian tradition, which has often taught us that bodies are are shameful and the material world is sort of dicey, the Song of Songs revels in the beauty of the human form. A third thing about the song, the female voice in it is, is very important for feminist readings of scripture. There aren't many strong female voices. There are some, but there aren't many in scripture, and, and this is one uh, that gets quite a bit of attention with good reason. Fourth and finally, the dominance of the allegorical interpretation of the Song of Songs. Overwhelmingly, the interpreters, both Jewish and Christian, over the centuries have read the song as an allegory describing the love between, not two lovers, but between God and humanity. In the Jewish reading, it's between God and Israel, and the Christian reading, Christ and the church, or Christ and the individual believer. And maybe this is due to a level of discomfort around sexuality in both Jewish and Christian contexts, respectively, and it might have other reasons as well. But according to the ancient rabbis, the Song of Songs was was an allegory of the history of Israel since the Exodus, which is perhaps why it's read at Passover. And one really fascinating alternative allegorical reading is to suggest reversing the characters. So in this reading, the woman is God, not the man, and the male is humanity or Israel or the church. Here God waits patiently for us to return from our wanderings as the uh, female does to the male character sometimes in the song. So as we look at how to make sense of the Song of Songs today, one of these forgotten books of the Bible I think we can read it in all these different ways. We don't have to pick one or the other. Two, three, four things can be true at the same time. It can be read as a book of love poetry that celebrates sexuality as a beautiful gift from God with mutuality and reciprocation and respect. And it can also be read allegorically as this beautiful, intimate, vulnerable picture of God's love for all humanity in whose image uh, God is imprinted. 
And whether we view God as the male lover or the female lover, um, both can speak different things to us in our context. I'd like to wrap up by just reading one verse from chapter 8. We started with a couple verses from chapter 1. Let me close us with chapter 8, verse 6, a pretty well-known part of the song. Maybe you've heard this read at weddings. It goes like this. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. What a gift, friends, to be reminded that love is indeed as strong as, even stronger than death. And indeed that love is the thing that will last forever. Friends, may you know you are loved and never alone, this day and always. If today's podcast has blessed you, provided a tinge of clarity or some nourishment for your spiritual journey, please share it with a friend so that we can create a more inclusive community. Or do you have any feedback for me, any show ideas, something that was particularly helpful or something that could have been better? Please send me an email at thedailyedified at gmail.com. That's in the show notes as well. I'd love to hear from you. Also, please consider rating and reviewing The Daily Edify wherever you get your podcasts. Friends, you are loved and never alone.